0: Well, there's a statement to start off today, and that is that love will make you do crazy things. And I want to show a picture to you. Up, oh, We'll put it up. And here's something that I think love will make you do. Love will make you dress up at Easter. So for all the men who dressed up on Easter today for your wives, I just congratulate you, and I'm so proud of you. So so spouses, can you just applaud your husband if, if he came because you dragged him out of bed today? So good job. And um <laughs> Seriously. I, I hardly ever wear uh, jackets anymore. I used to wear jackets for a little bit, but then I told my wife today, I was like, please, I don't want to wear a jacket today. And I had the whole conversation. I was like, but but I want you to be comfortable. So I sold her this whole thing. So I got away from the jacket today. But, uh, but for some of you are like, "Ah." Oh. and then my son, by the way, he was like, oh, mom, I don't want to wear the nice shirt. Like he only wears buttons up. I think it's the same shirt he has on today. So if you see him, yeah, that's his only nice shirt. Uh, but anyways, so so proud of you for getting up for Easter. The things you'll do, right, because crazy things you'll do for love. Here's something else. Uh, you don't just dress up. Sometimes you dress down. You ever done stuff like this? That's me and my wife uh, and on vacation, and, and uh, that is not a real mustache, by the, or is it? I can't tell. I don't remember. Um, it may have been. Just the stuff you'll do for love, you know, just dress up. And my, love, my wife loves, like, country stuff, and so I'll put on country hats and ripped T-shirts, you know, all kinds of weird stuff I do for love. Here's another thing that I think some of you probably done for love. Some of you can resonate. This is me and my family. We have four kids. This is us in our minivan. Any, any family ever taken a road trip and you thought that was a great idea until you get on the road, you know, like, oh, it's a road trip. And then I'm not kidding. Like the, the line you you just hear it in movies about, um, you know, are we there yet? And you think, and I honestly, I forget that that's a real thing. Like, All the way. We drove 10 hours uh, a while back up to Georgia in the mountains and the kids are like, are we there yet? I mean, are we there yet? Are we there yet? So yeah, it's a good idea until until you get on the road. True? It's true. You're like, that's why they invented airplanes. Makes sense. Get there as fast as you can. Um, all right. Here's something else. I think uh, I think that we can understand about doing something for love. This is me. I coach uh, soccer. I did coach soccer for my kids. Now they play soccer. But how many of you just have uh, kids in sports? You have kids in sports, maybe, um, or had kids. In... Is that? man, like, okay, so there's a lot more. Okay, they slowly popping. Oh yeah, I forgot they're in sports. Um, so man, sports for, for many families can dominate their weekends, right? Like there's just co- kind of constantly going and practices and those whole things and schedules in school. And so uh, it can get real, real exhausting, but we'll, we'll coach soccer. We'll, we'll get involved in sports. We'll take them places, pay for things and special trainings and do all kinds of things because we love our kids, right? And uh, here's uh, another thing that I think that might be little debatable that we do out of love. Um, Too soon? Too soon? According to Will Smith, this is what love makes you do. As he said, love will make you do crazy things. All right, that's debatable. I plead the fifth. You decide if that's out of love or whatever you want to consider the reason you did that. All right, that's funny though, right? I totally planned that. Now, I told my wife that I was going to put this in. She's like, she goes, you know what I love about you, Ricky? She goes, sometimes you just almost cross the line. And I was like, I know. Thanks. It's funny. All right, here's something else love will make you do. This is a picture of me and my wife in Ireland on the Cliffs of Moir where I proposed to her. And, uh, and so that's me and my knee. Now, what I didn't tell you is this is the second time I proposed to her just this, uh, this past year because I did such a terrible job on the first one. Um, I was so nervous uh, when we got, you know, we've been married 14 years and so, but when I, uh, when I proposed to her originally, I was so nervous. I didn't even get on my knee. Um, I, I literally walked up to her and I'm like, this is what I said. No lie. I was like, um, are you going to make me say it? <laughs> I mean, failure, like (laughs) that's literally how I proposed to my wife. And it was written in in sand, but it was like, you're going to make me say this. And um, she's like, no, I know. And then she grabbed the ring. I'm like, I didn't even put it on her. I was like, here. (laughs) So I told her, I'll take you to Ireland. And so we, we, I proposed to her in the Cliffs of Moher. But then I told her when I was down in knee, I said, I just want you to know, this is now the story that you have to share with everybody for the rest of your life. I flew you to Ireland. I took you to the Cliffs of Moher. And so, man, the things we do for love, right? We'll do a lot of crazy things for love. It's true. Love is often more revealed in action than in words. I think most people would agree with that, if not every one of you would say, yeah, that's true, that love is revealed more often through actions than words. Words matter, and and of itself, sometimes words could be determined or classified as an action in some way, but, but, but action speaks louder than words. We know that action trumps words and that kind of a thing. Or, um, and so for most of us, we, we get that, and we understand that truth. In other words, I could tell you how much I love you, um, but there becomes a point, if even if I told you that I loved you, uh, there becomes a point where you're like, yeah, I appreciate that, but, but then it would take on a whole new meaning if I actually displayed it through some form of action, if I demonstrated it to you. And that's what I've titled today's message, The Greatest Demonstration of Love. The word demonstration is to show proof of. That's what it means, real simple, just to show proof of, to speak of the truth of it. And most of us, if not all of us, probably all of you, even watching online, so many of you have probably heard uh, the statement, Jesus or God loves you, right? Like you've seen it on um, signs, you've seen it on billboards, uh, especially on road trips, they're kind of randomly out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus loves you, you know, and and you'll hear people tell you that, somebody's texted you that before, somebody's emailed that to you, something popped up on the social media. Uh, Most of us have heard God loves you or Jesus loves you before, but it takes on a whole different meaning uh, when you understand the demonstration of that love. We've heard the words that God loves us, but few of us understand the depth of how he demonstrated his love for us, and one of the ways uh, that you will know how much you understand his love, I have found this out to be true in my life, is by what happens to you when you begin to understand it. I believe that when you come to know his love, it will change everything about you. In fact, and I wrote this down, I want to warn you that the message you're about to hear about to hear, could change uh, every plan that you've ever made in your life. If you really hear this message today, I believe it's going to change everything in your life for all of us. And um, when I heard this message and still hear this message, it changes everything in my life. All my plans change. So if you came in with plans, just consider for a minute those plans might change because of what you're about to hear. Um, the title, like I said, is The Greatest Demonstration of Love. And Easter, of course, no surprise, is a big day for churches, by the way, um, and uh, this is like the day that pastors, we all text each other and be like, praying for you, man. Here we go. Bring the heat. Bring the fire. Like, literally, I got a text message. Seriously, I know. We're, we're weird. Uh, we're our own select class. That's why you're not a part of those group texts, you know? And you're like, these guys are weird. I'm not going to listen to them. Uh, but, uh, but even got text messages late last night, like, preach the fire, you know, a little fire simple. And, and I'm appreciative. I, I took that as encouragement. Seriously, I'm not making fun of that. It's just encouraging and trying to encourage us and allow God to use us. And so, uh, and so for me, this is true. When I began to prepare for the message today, like, I wanted to give a home run. Because um, there's no surprise, and I, and I say this every year, like, like, Easter and Christmas are our largest attended of the year. I mean, we'll literally almost double or triple in size on an Easter service. And then the following week, this is just, just so true. It's of churches all the time, like you just in church world, just so you know. Like 70% don't return. And then they'll come back at Christmas, and then they come back at Easter. And, I, and I'm not mad. I'm just, just telling you what's, what's real, Okay. And uh, and so for, for us as, as speakers, communicators, um, whatever church you go to, uh, at least, you know, for here and for, for most churches that I know, uh, this is the day like we, we try to bring our A game, you know, like, oh, we got to bring the humor, we got to bring the teaching, we got to bring the depth, we got to bring it. So in my preparation of this sermon today... I started to dive deep into the Word of God, like into Hebrew stuff and Greek, and I'm like trying to come up with funny stories and all these things, like what am I going to do, these powerful illustrations and all this stuff, and I'm I'm so trying to just study, study hard to bring some really deep teaching, like you're like, whoa, I've never heard that before. That's what I was hoping for today, seriously. And then God told me, I felt like I put in my heart to do a message on Luke chapter 15. And I literally told God, God, they all know the prodigal son's story. Like, why are we going to teach on that? Let's do something good, you know? And he says, no, I want you to teach on... Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. And I and I know most of you probably have even heard that reference before. How many of you, just curious, how many of you have heard the reference of the prodigal son? Maybe you know what it says. I'm not going to ask you to get up here and say it, but uh, okay. So for most of us, yeah, that's what I thought. See, God, we don't need to. They already know. And um, But I felt like God said, you know, you need to do this uh, sermon. There's something I want to tell them on the prodigal son's story. So I began to, uh, to rehearse this talk and, and study on this talk and what God wanted to communicate uh, through me to you. And so the passage of scripture that we're going to look at is, of course, one that you've heard probably many times, Luke 15 uh, on the prodigal son. It's like the most common uh, preached um, topic on Easter, just so you know. And that's why I was like, Man, I don't want to be that, but God said this is what he wanted. So I said, okay. Okay, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I'll read straight through it through verse 24. So bear with me, we'll put it up on the screen. Jesus continued. He said, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of my estate. So he divided the property between them. So the son goes to the father and says, Dad, I want the money. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off to a far distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him. And this is, I think, one of those like, awkward moments in Scripture. He starts to kiss him. You, you know, more give him dap, dad, or high five, but he like, starts kissing him. Verse 21, the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring out the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. I want will unpack a few verses there. Go back, if you would, to verse 11 and 12. In the beginning of the story that Jesus tells, he starts off with about this son who takes dad's money. The context in this culture, this Jewish culture, this time period, is that if you go to a dad and you say, dad, give me the inheritance now. The son, the dad would, would split the inheritance and he'd give it to the son. And, and essentially, this is in modern day vernacular. So if you were talking today to your dad or to your parent who had the money, who was not dead, and you were a child of them, even though they're not dead, you walked up to them today, even though they're alive, and you said, hey, I know you've got a trust fund for me. I know you got extra life insurance policy. I know you've got money in the bank. I know you're not dead yet, but give me all your money now. And in that context, it went even further, it was saying to his father, I'd rather you be dead because if you're dead, then I get your money. I mean, this is like pretty harsh stuff when you think about it. Can you imagine your son, daughter coming to you after all you've done for them and saying, can you just please go ahead and die? I'd rather have all the money because I want to start living the life that I want to have. And then the father does something pretty incredible. Let's just look at the story for what it is. The father actually like, sure. Dads, come on. <laughs> Sound like a good idea? No. How many of you dads in the room would be like, yeah, i do that. Sure, why not? Sure, get all the money out. Honey, what happened to all of our money? Oh, I gave it to, to Bobby. You know, he, he's wishing we're dead so I thought I'd, I'd give him the money. You did what? Can you imagine his wife in the story? Which is not mentioned because she left. No, she didn't leave. But <laughs> she's thinking, you know, what? That's crazy, right? I mean, this is, this is the story Jesus tells. Pretty good story. All right. So the son wishes the father is dead, essentially. And he takes the money. And he takes off running. I want you to notice also that when he leaves the father's house, he's leaving his provision. He's leaving his protection. And he is removing himself from his love. No more tucking in bed. No more goodnight kisses. No more cups of coffee on the front porch. No more Small talk, no more watching ESPN together, right? He's removing himself from the relationship that he had with his father. The, the opportunity to experience the love is gone for money. So he leaves and he takes off. And in verse 13 through 16, it says, the young man spends his money And it says in the text, as he squandered his wealth, and the words we see in the NIV is wild living, a better translation would be extravagant living, he lives it up. And he goes out and he begins to purchase stuff. Now there's a lot of debate, I'm sure, and biblical scholars can talk about this, what caused him to to purchase these things. I think it's actually quite simple. He's just left his father's love, and now he's trying to replace it with something else. He starts to purchase stuff because he thinks the stuff was going to make him happy. We do that, right? When we do. We buy stuff that we're convinced will make us feel better about ourselves. People do stuff to their body that they think will make them feel better about themselves. We purchase things houses, cars, all kinds of stuff we spend money on, assuming that there's going to be some kind of gratification, which there is. There is gratification, no doubt about it. You buy something you really wanted, and you feel great for a moment, sometimes for like a week. Now, if you're a kid, it's like an hour, and then it's on to the next thing, right? Right? And you know that because as parents, you walk around stores. We did this with my kids the other day. And we're walking around. Hey, what do you want? And they're like, oh, I want. Oh, I want. And then you're like, are you sure you want that? Uh, I don't know. And then they go find something else, you know. And then they get it. And then they play with it for a little while. And then soon enough, it's at the bottom of a toy pile, broken. And they're like, I haven't seen that in a while. I don't know. But I want something new. Right? And this is like very common. We do this as humans. I think the son's doing the same thing. He's purchasing stuff, extravagant living. He's living it up. He's having the life that he's always dreamed of. He gets the VIPs at the club. He's got the penthouse suite in New York. He's got another one out in California and L.A. I mean, he's got it. Everything that he thought would fill his life with joy and satisfaction and excitement. He's got boats, jet skis, the best golf courses. Are you following me man? Ladies, he goes to the spa every day. You know what I mean? I mean, he gets massages all the time. He's got somebody coming to his house every day in cleaning. Every day, somebody's there, right? Like on Who's the Boss? Remember Tony? I've always wanted a Tony. Anybody remember Who's the Boss? Some of you are like, I have no idea. Younger people, but how many of you remember Who's the Boss? Right? Like, oh, yeah. how Tony, man, come in to just start cooking and cleaning. Hey, Amen. It'd be so awesome. He's got Tony in his house. You understand? He's got it. But then something happens. The economy changes. COVID comes. Something comes in and just throws it all out of whack. Famine comes, and he loses everything. He spends all of his money, but now he's broke, and he's got nothing, including no friends. Because all the friends that he had were built on the finances that he had. Because everybody wants to go to his house because he's got the nice house. He's got all the girls at his house. He's got all the stuff paying for vacations. Come to my house. I'll pay for it. All right, cool. We'll show up. And then all of a sudden, I got no money. Well, let's go to somebody else's house. Right? This is where this guy is. So he finds himself working now in a pig pen. So he's just kind of hit bottom. It's an easy way for us to understand it. He's working at a job he doesn't want to have a low-paying job, doesn't even make enough to support himself. And the text goes on to say, in verse 17, that he comes to his senses. If you put it on the screen, verse 17. So he came to his senses, and he begins to prepare a speech. And notice that the speech says the last line, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so just make me a servant. He's lost such identity with his father. And obviously, I mean, we don't know how old this kid is. He could be in his 30s, 20s, maybe 40s. I don't know exactly the age of him. We're not really given the exact age. So that leaves it open for all of us. That at some point as he goes off, I think he somehow forgot all the nights that his dad hung out with him. How much his dad did for him. They used to work the farm together. Lots of conversations they used to have, great relationship, conversations, love, kisses, goodnight, bedtime stories, like all these things. And, and yet here, evidently, some of that stuff is kind of out of his mind because he's like, there's no way he's going to let me be a son again. Now, that makes sense because in culture, I just told him, I'd rather you be dead. Give me all your money. So he says, well, maybe, just maybe he'll hire me as one of his slaves, because in this culture, you have people who work your land. That's just cultural. That's not approving of it. It's just cultural to what was true to the day. So he's like, maybe he'll just let me be a slave to him. Because I'm surely, no way, he's going to allow me to be his son. As it says he comes to his senses, something begins to stir in his mind. Kind of wakes up, has an epiphany. Light goes off. All right, so this is where this boy is, and I love verse 20. It says, he was a long way off. His father runs after him, throws his arms around him, and begins to plant kisses all over his cheeks. Which men know, you've got to really love your son to be doing that. Like one kiss is couple kisses, but how many you men be like, mmm, <smart noise> mmm, <smart> I mean, I'm telling you, I try to give my son a kiss like, yeah, yeah, dad, you know, I'm like, dude, just give me one, man. <laughs> Anybody can relate to that? Dad? Okay, so this dad is so in love with his son, he just plant kisses on him. And the text says he does it when he's a long way off, which is also important to know, because in Jewish culture, the houses don't look like some of the houses we saw today. Jewish culture, a lot of the houses are smaller, a lot of high, white walls. They would have walls that are built around like a courtyard kind of a thing where the family would live. Sometimes 20, 30, up to 40 family members would be living in one home. These are small homes. These are not like you see today, especially in our region, in our area. Nothing like that at all. Now, the interesting part about this too is that it's not like they had a front porch with a picket fence like slipping sweet tea and eating fried chicken. I don't know why I just said fried chicken. That's not in my notes, but I just thought sweet tea, fried chicken goes together. Amen? All right. (laughs) I don't know. I'm from Texas, so maybe that's why it's still in me. So there's not a front porch that he's like, you know, waiting. I want you to understand this that in culture, this is true. Biblical scholars wouldn't refute this. This is true. That the father, in order to see his son coming, would have had to leave the home. Because there's no way you can see far in a distance when you can't see around the corner because you've got a wall in front of you. So we have a father who's left the house in search for his son. And he's waiting eagerly for his son. And we're also not given a time slot here, which I think completely is intentional. In other words, we're not like, how long was he waiting? Is it a month? Is it a year? Is it a few weeks? Not quite sure. Days, right? Hours? Years. Don't know. But we know whatever length of time this is he's waiting and he looks out and he searches which is also important to consider that he's intentionally looking so when the sun is a far away off the sun comes towards and this is where it gets really interesting verse 21 it says son said to the father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son i want you to notice that he begins to confess this idea of sin. And he says, sin, by the way, in context of the story is, I'm going to ask you, God, to forgive me of the sin that I have against heaven, which is an interesting thing now. He's including God up there, and against you in the relationship that we've had. The word sin means to separate this relationship. I want you to see the sin has separated the relationship. And now I am another word that you might have heard is repenting. Maybe I'm repenting. I'm changing the way that I think, or I'm changing the way that I see, and I'm asking you to let me back into the house as a servant. What's interesting in the story is I've always thought that when he came to his senses, when he was far away off, that's when he decided, gosh, I really messed up. I just want to get back into Uh, my dad's house, and so I'm going to go and tell him I'm sorry, and sure, he prepares the speech. He gets there, but the text says that he doesn't even get the speech out. If you go back to the verse, it said that he was embraced and hugged and squeezed and kissed, and it was after that embrace that he makes this statement. I think that's really important for you to consider today, that this little boy, this young man, Maybe this older man didn't fully repent of his sin, the thing that had separated him from his father's relationship. Remember, repentance means just to change the way you think, change the way you think about it. He didn't make the declaration with his mouth until he was in the arms of his father's grace, in the grace of his father's arms. Does that make sense? Like he, He's so loved, he's held and it's that holding, it's that squeezing, it's that kissing moment, it's then that the son finally gets out the words, Father, I've sinned. Father, forgive me for what I've done. Something changed, I think, certainly for the man. We're not really told exactly what he felt in the text. We're just told what he said. But just imagine... The same father who you wish death upon and you stole money from and you abandon it and you spend all the money and then you're walking back home and he comes running after you and he begins to kiss you. Now, just put yourself in a story of that truth. Truth is, some of your parents and family members, maybe even your own dad, maybe like this, that relationship that I just described to you is like, that does not exist. Like, that is not real in our family. In fact, for most of us and for many of us around, what's true in our family is when a father hurts the son or the daughter, that relationship is tainted for a long, long time. Truth is, when a family member hurts you, you're like, I want nothing to do with them. Right? Like, we we distance ourself from those individuals. We push them away. How dare you do that to me when I was young? Or how dare you talk to me that way when you were young or unforgiveness? And just think about all the normal stories that we hear in our culture. And Jesus is telling a story of something that honestly, let's be real, most of us have never seen in our current life with our friends and our own families. And Jesus tells this story. And I think the audience is like, sounds good, but that's not like what we do. That's not real to us. Because if a son did that to me, like I didn't have anything to do with that guy again. Now in this culture also the community would have heard about this. And so Not only is this important to understand, like the culture side, the community would have outcasted this guy. They would have heard about what Bobby did to his dad, Billy. And I don't know why it's Bobby and Billy, but that's what we're going with. Because I said fried chicken, sweet tea, so my mind's on country stuff. I don't know. Not to say that Billy and Bobby have to be country. I'm just saying. So please nobody be offended because we live in a, a very offended world today. All right. So, but, 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 but. This is the son and how he sees his his dad. And so the community would have known about this. The reason the son, you have to know this, the son takes off towards, the father takes off towards the son is because culturally, if the community had seen the son enter back into the town, they would have stoned him, killed him, locked him up, sent him back out. They would have destroyed him. I want you to see this. This is just culturally true. Here comes this little boy, Young man, older man who did that to his dad, don't even let him into the father's house near the father. Like he has no right here to do what he did because this is a close-knitted community of people. And so the father's knowing this, that if that son ever returns home and he doesn't see him, death to him. So the father takes off running, which by the way is shameful in this culture For an old man to be darting off running towards a son who's left your house. So really this is an act of protection because he's running after him in culture to grab him quickly, to reveal to the community, I'm excited about this. And maybe possibly it's happening in the evening time. I don't know. Hurry up, son. We got to get into the house because I don't want other people to see you. Because I want to bring you in before they have the hands on you. Which also, he's running in a robe of some sorts. Likely for Jewish people to be wearing these uh, robes with these tassels. So I just think it's interesting that he's also running in sandals, and he picks up like his robes, and he's, oh man, just running. (laughs) It's funny, I know. That's why I wanted to do that for you, because I just think, that just adds to the story a little bit. You know, and he's trying not to trip over the tassels that are hanging from his, his cloth that would hang over him. He picks up, and he takes off running towards his son. Man, it's an amazing story. Most of us be like, that's incredible, right? Like, that's an incredible story, and it is. And once he realizes it's a father love for him, he can't help but to say, his father, forgive me, right? I love you. I'm so sorry, Dad. Verse 22, 24. And I think this is an amazing demonstration of this. It says, Goes on to say, but the father said to servants quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him, get the party going. The fattened calf. So there's a really fat cow that's been like sitting there, old Betsy, and she's uh, got good meat on her. And he's like, get, get Betsy out. Betsy's going to, we're going to take Betsy out today. And, and he gets the best meal, and he says to his family and friends around him, grab the meat, get the wine out. This is going to be a party. This lost son of mine has come home. Amazing story. It's a great demonstration of love. No one would refute that. Even for non-believers in the room, people who say, I don't really care about God or Jesus. The story I just read to you, you wouldn't refute that. That's a great story of love. Wow, it's powerful. Right? Right? Here's how Paul, another writer of the New Testament, gave us a demonstration of, of love. He said this in Romans 5 6 through 8. This guy Paul writes this, and he says, I want to tell you about uh, a great demonstration of love. Maybe the, the greatest, actually, the greatest demonstration of love. This is what Paul says. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died. I'm telling you. I, I read this in my study and I thought that can't be right. I, I read that. Please look at the screen and, and read that, like if you can. So just just read that. So you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for thee. And I read this word and I thought that can't be right. So I had to look up in different translations and it says the ungodly. Okay, let's pause here for a minute. Please let this sink in. I mean, are you sure you really believe what I just read to you? If you're a Christian in the room and you're a believer and you like the Bible and all that stuff, okay, okay. Paul said that Christ died for the ungodly. Man, and I don't know about you, but as a Christian myself, I can't help but to start thinking about that can't be right. Like, yeah, I know he died for you know, godly, but he... And I, and I immediately, I immediately, like the son returning home, want to start to think about it has something to do with my works, though. Like, but but, but you got to obey him, something. Like, you can't just... God just can't die for people who don't care about him. That doesn't make any sense. He, it just, it starts to wrestle in my heart. And so I read this, and I think, Christ died for ungodly people? You mean he died for, like, people who would want nothing to do with him? This is what Jesus died? Okay, keep reading. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Now, we know that's true. Like, there's, I know you, you would die for your family, and like, I'll take one for the team. Hey, a lot of, many of you and many people today have died for their country, right? You know, and they die for purposes and good, good things. And, and like, man, we're dying for freedom, right? We, we die for our family, those we love. Like, that makes sense, maybe even right? Um, police officers, first responders, all those people, thank you if you serve. And, and it makes sense what you do because you're like, well, that makes sense in our brains because like, you're dying for good causes. We run into, bu- they run into buildings with fire and, they, and, 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 and for our brains, we're like, well, that, that makes sense. I mean, they're, they're doing a good job. They're heroes. and We call them heroes. And they, and they are he- heroes. Yeah, it's great. But I want you to notice what Paul says about Jesus. He said Jesus died for people who would actually reject him. Like he went in to a burning building to save people who were quote-unquote about to die knowing that the very people who he saved would actually give him of no credit of the salvation that he had just provided for them. No medals of honors, no badges, no speeches, no acknowledgement. And he knew That people all over would say, this guy is a lunatic. And yet, Paul says, but God, referring to Christ, because Jesus is the one who dies, so we see him as Christ, demonstrates his love, his own love, for, and I love this word, us, us. I don't care who you are. Watching online, Christian, not a Christian. Churchgoer, not a churchgoer. Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, all of you. Yes, let me say it loud. To every person who practices other faiths and religions, Christ died for you. Now that's pretty powerful when you think about it. And I know if someone's like, "Oh, that doesn't seem right," it died for the ungodly. And then it says, "While we, you, and me were still sinners, Christ died for us." While, while you were still a sinner just like this son, had abandoned the father's relationship. And yet the father leaves his house and he waits and he looks for and he searches to mend this broken relationship. Even while the son was in a distant land doing what he wanted, the father was at home waiting to kiss his son. It's an incredible demonstration of love. I said earlier that love is revealed more in action than words. And the one thing to hear Jesus love you, it's one thing, yeah, Jesus loves you. Yeah, God loves you. I don't want to tell you God loves you. I want it to be demonstrated to you. I hope that somehow in these next few moments it would be demonstrated to you. that the man Jesus actually followed through with it while also knowing that you wouldn't believe that he was doing it for you. Most historians and even atheists, maybe even atheists here in the room, agnostics watching online, people who refuse God entirely, many of you who are part of today, don't ever even talk with them, don't have a relationship with them, never even read your Bible ever, maybe. Even for those that do, like, no one refutes the existence of the man Jesus. I mean, no one refutes the existence. Just like you don't refute Socrates. Well, I doubt Socrates existed. You know, like Plato. Like, that's okay. Just the man Jesus. Nobody refutes that. Like, the man historically, he lived. Yes, the man died. Many Like, everybody, even all kinds of unbelieving people will, will profess that the man did live. And the man did go to the cross. And according to Jesus, the man, the reason he went to the cross was for this reason alone. Listen in. Because I love you. That's pretty incredible that some man that you never met In AD 33 or so, went to a cross, went through the crucifixion, and the reason he said he did it was because he loves you. That's what he said. I'm not telling you what just, well, that's what the Bible says. I'm telling you what he said. He said, I do it for you. Now, if you want to call him a lunatic, you can call him a lunatic. That's fine. You can choose to see him as a lunatic. But I was telling my wife this this morning. I said, you know what I find, though, in the world I live in? Most crazy people, lunatics, right? Like, you you know what I'm talking about. Commit evil deeds. When people perform hideous, evil acts, we call them crazy. That's a natural thing, right? I've rarely ever seen a lunatic perform a great deed I suggest to you that Jesus if he was a lunatic was the most loving lunatic that's ever existed on the planet because to endure the beating of a cross for people who would reject him is to us dare I say as humans fully only human a little crazy but Jesus wasn't crazy He wasn't a lunatic. He was in love with you. And even though you were rejected, he died for you. It's a great demonstration of love. On your seat, there's a white blank card. I've come to remind you of something. Something. Jesus loves you so much that he paid the price for the sins of the world even though you want nothing to do with him and if today I'm not even telling you to make a decision to follow him today I'm letting you know something even if you never choose to follow him you can never stop him from loving you he will sit and wait for you And he will search for you until he finds you. Because that's how much he actually loves you. And the man Jesus died for you, and he loves you. And according to him, I did this for you. And you can believe it or not of why I did it, but according to Jesus, the reason I did it was because I love you. And I just think he loves me that much he's worthy of me investigating him. At least he's worthy of a moment, five minutes of picking up something and reading about him, finding out who he is. And I believe if you just take five minutes, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes a day or just a little season, you begin to search for him, you'll find him. And when you find him and you realize how much he loves you and he wraps you in his arms and everything will change in your life. So on your seat, there's little cards I'm going to ask you to do something. i write down words like this, okay? I want you to write down a word. Choose whatever word I say here and just write it down. Just one, just one, right? Greed, pride, jealousy, envy, lust, selfishness. I'll say them again. Greed, pride, lust, murder, stealing, lying. Any word that I just said, murder, stealing, lying, uh, uh, adultery, Greed, pride, jealousy, envy. Everybody got it? Just got one word on your, on your card. Just one word. One, 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 one. Just one word. It not take you long. Okay? Envy, jealousy, pride, murder. All right. Everybody got one? Okay. Those may resonate with you, may not, in some form or fashion. So here's what I invite you to do today. We have some nails down here. I didn't ask you to make a decision, and this means you follow Jesus. I, I just I just want to invite you to do something. Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life the Bible says that while we were still sinners Christ died for us that he died for the ungodly so 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 because you're all really good Christians and you don't commit any of the things that I just talked about you're never jealous you're never envious you're never prideful right we don't ever tell lies nobody can here lies raise your hand if you've ever told a lie Oh, my gosh. Everybody look around. Everybody look around. Look around. Look, 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 look. Online, they're all liars. This is crazy. And that, what's crazy? I saw married couples. What are you lying about? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Have you ever stole something You're, in your life, stole something? Okay, there's a little more thieves on the right. Left, stay away from the right, okay? <laughs> all right, guys, <laughs> check your cars, check your wallets. Have you ever been jealous before? Anybody been jealous? Whoa. What's wrong with you guys? You're not content? You're so jealous. Man, it's crazy, right? All right. So, So I want to invite you to come forward and just do what Jesus did. I want you to nail those sins to the cross because Jesus said, I took the sins of the world. This is not just a confession. And maybe you want to make it into a confession of your sin. You can. But even if you don't want to follow Jesus I should invite you to come just take Jesus up on his word he said I nailed your sins to the cross too so even if you're not a believer I'm going to invite you to nail that card to this cross because while you are still a sinner I died for you there's hammers and nails up here just come in take Jesus up on what he did he demonstrated it for you and he said he died for the sins of the world So these sins will represent every person in the world that's ever lived. Every sin that's ever been committed. Let's take him up on his offer. Let's worship him. We'll sing a song and I'll come back up and we'll be dismissed. first verses I ever memorized as a, uh, as a believer and this, this guy talked talk to me about Jesus and I didn't really fully surrender my life at that time but this is one of the first verses I ever learned Romans 10 9 it says if you believe with your mouth and confess with your heart it says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved it's this key word believe that's like we get confused the word believe doesn't mean to have The fact of, I want to tell you something, you cannot refute. The fact that this man, Jesus, did die on a cross. And according to Jesus, he did that because he loves you. Even though you might leave here today and say, I don't care. In fact, he called you out on it. He said, I know, you you won't ever trust me but that will not stop me from doing it for you. Ladies and gentlemen, Like that's a phenomenal demonstration of love you cannot argue with. You will never be able to argue with the fact that God loves you. You may argue how the world came to be and fool this to this in the Bible and like, all kinds of arguments, but you cannot argue that the man Jesus who went to a cross, who said, I know you won't even get up and stand and sing ever, I know you won't even read the Bible, I know you'll never search for me, but I'll do it for you too, and that's just true. That's a great demonstration of love I don't think can be argued. Today, I just wanted you to know how he demonstrated it to you. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to be willing to investigate, consider this man Jesus, who 2,000 plus years ago died for you. At least according to him, he did. Maybe you want to find out more about that. What do you do? Well, pick up a Bible. That's where we have most of all of our information about Jesus and start reading his words. No different than you read other books about other historical people. Just pick up a Bible, start reading about him. And I believe that as you search for him, you'll find him because he waits for you. And I believe he loves you more than you ever even will imagine. So today I wanted just to do something to let you know that I'm just like you. And I wrote down uh, a sin that I deal with, you know. And it, it's a sin in, in some ways. And, and I thought I need to nail it to the cross too because we're all the same. And we're all, the Bible says, sinners before God. And, and you know, knowing that he died for me too. And, uh, and so he's, I'm saved by the same grace you're saved for. And I will t- confess it to you. It's fine. It's a refusal to surrender fully. I don't know about you. But I have many days that as a normal functioning man in my life, I have a hard time surrendering to the Lord. I don't always do what he tells me to do. And I am not perfect in any form or fashion. And what amazes me the most about this God, this Jesus, is that I could sit right over here, hold this in my hand, and yet... just doesn't, it literally doesn't make any sense to me. And I know this might be theologically wrong, but I think it's crazy. just, I don't wrap my head around that. How I could hold my sin in the hand and say, I know I'm going to refuse you again. I know that I will not surrender fully. I know I will not fully trust you all the time. And yet he says, that's okay. I'll die for you anyways. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Like, I know that may not be the best word to use, but it's all I have in me right now, honestly. Because it just doesn't make sense. And how he could use someone like me to teach you about him. It like doesn't make sense, even though I hold the sin in my hand. But here's the greatest news in the world. Jesus said that when he takes the sin from me and he puts it on the cross, it's finished and paid for. That's amazing news. So, so I, I don't, I don't have to walk around like feeling this guilty condemnation about the sin because he took it from you. So the best news in the world is you can walk out of here being free of this stuff because he took it from the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever trusts in his love, hear it that way, not believe that he existed, but trusts that he loves you, he loves you, and if you just trust the fact that this man loves you, you'll do what he says, why? Because there's no one in the world that loves you more than Jesus, who else in your life has done this for you, who else can you point to who's ever done this for the world? no one, no one has ever sacrificed so much for the world other than Jesus now the question remains do you trust him? do you trust in his love for you? that's the question I'd love for you to keep your eyes up if you have never made the decision to trust him that he loves you. You're watching online, you're here, and you say, yeah, you know what? I want to trust him. Today I trust him. He's convinced to me, I trust him, that, that he loves me. I'm not quite sure how this is going to go. I don't have it all figured out, but I trust him that he loves me. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? You say, I, want, I trust him that he loves me. I'm not sure why we had a golf clap just now, but we can clap a lot louder than that. Go (laughs) ahead. Okay. How many in the room, just curious, total show of hands, just curious. If you're watching online, let us know. Trust Jesus that he loves you. You trust him that he loves you? You trust him that he loves you? You really trust him, Jeff, that he loves you? He does. More than you can imagine. Most of your hands are lifted. And if they're not, he loves you anyways. He just does. That's who he is. So, if you're convinced that God loves you, why wouldn't you do what he says? Why wouldn't you? It's out of love. Don't allow other humans to destroy what God did for you. Don't allow your dad to take away what God did for you. Don't allow your mom to take away what God did for you. Don't allow some other preacher to take away what God did for you. Don't allow a church experience to allow God to do what he did for you. God loves you. And I'm inviting you to trust him today. And then do what he says to do. Let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. You can have a seat for Father, oh, Jesus, like as we sit here uh, for a moment before the cross, we thank you for the dying for our sins. And even while we were still sinners, you paid the price. And maybe today you made a decision to follow Jesus as your Savior. Then right now there's that communication card on your seat. If you're watching online, let us know as well. But if you're here in person, there's that communication card in your seat. Right now. Don't wait. Just put your name on it. And then on the backside, it says, make a decision to follow Jesus. I want to find out more about following Jesus. I want to get baptized. Take a next step. Call me. Let us know. Right now, do that. Make that step. Because it's the most important decision you'll ever make your entire life. Why? We're not trying to sell you anything. We just want to help walk you through it. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We'll make sure you know how to read your Bible. Like, have questions that you probably have. We want to help answer those questions. I'm sure you're going through stuff that we don't even know about. I'm sure family stuff, health stuff, financial stuff, all kinds of stuff. Well, we want to stand with you. And down front, we have a team of people who are ready to do that. And we want to pray with you. And if you need prayer for something, you can come right now. You say, man, I just need prayer. I, I want somebody to pray you. you. can come and, hey, I just want somebody to pray with you. You can come. Don't be embarrassed and shy. Come and, and get prayed for. And, and then after service, they'll be down here too also. And so we'll be down here for a little while. If you need somebody to pray with you, stand with you, answer questions. People at Brave Central are here to help answer your questions give you a Bible today, whatever. We want to be with you in this. We want to walk it through with you. Next week, we're going to be having baptisms as well. And so if you want to get baptized next week, we want to walk you through that and help you understand that. We'll walk you through it before we do it to help you give you understanding and context. You can let us know. And then next week, we're going to start a whole series about how to walk in faith through this stuff. Like, what do I do now? How does this work? Well, that's what this whole armor of God is going to be about. It's going to help you walk through this faith journey with the Lord. We want to help you do that. So we invite you to hope that you would return next Sunday. We're still here, 10 a.m., same time, same place, same thing. We're here, and we're going to study the Word of God together. And I invite you all to come back. We have plenty of room for you, as you can see. You have a seat at the table. We would love to have you join us. Or watch online as well. We love you so much. And we say this one last time, all this in prayer. The Lord loves you. May he be with you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you peace. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate Jesus today? By just Jesus? So good.